0: Let's start off in prayer. Father, I just thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, Father. And Lord, we just uh, want to draw our attention upon you, Father, upon Jesus. And we pray that as we turn to your word, your Holy Spirit would bring life to us and bring your word alive to us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. Well, th- this morning, I want to speak about intercession. An essential part of every Christian's life. First Timothy chapter two, verse one. Therefore I exhort first of all, uh, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. In this verse, we see four components to intercessory prayer: supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks. Supplication is crying out to God for God to involve himself and do whatever is needed. Supplication is more than just making a need known to God. It is identifying with the need, joining ourselves to to the need, and being so moved by the need that we cry out to God for the need. That's supplication. Supplication has three components. Recognizing the urgency and desperation of the situation or the need. Two, recognizing our poverty and helplessness to meet the need of others. And recognizing that only through God's intervention can the need be met. So you first of all have to realize the need is desperate. The second thing we have to recognize is we can't meet that need. And the third thing is recognizing only if God intervenes will that need be met. Supplication is assessing the situation and recognizing that if God doesn't show up, then everything will be lost. Supplication is recognizing our own poverty and helplessness and knowing that only God can help. Supplication is not like asking someone to help us change a tire. It is more like hanging from a cliff by our fingertips and calling out to the only person who is strong enough to lift us from that precipice. That's supplication. Although supplication is a desperate cry for God to intervene, it is not rooted in anguish, but earnestness and a firm and unshakable confidence in God's love, mercy, and faithfulness. So, intercession is, oh God, this is so terrible. That's not intercession, that is complaining in a religious mode. (laughs) Intercession is seeing the situation as desperate, but having a confidence that God is faithful to answer. Prayer, unlike supplication, is simply making a request known to God. First, Ephesians 1.16 Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Philemon 1.4 I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. And First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.2 We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. The Greek word translated as mention means Remembrance. Memory, recollection, by implication, recital. In other words, when I'm, when I'm praying, many times I'm spending time just worshiping God, and, a, and as a person comes to my mind or my heart, I might just make mention of that person's name and say, Lord, bless them or help them. That can be prayer. I'm making mention. I don't have to always have it intense. So many times I'm praying, and as different people or different needs come to my mind, I just make mention of those needs or those people before the Lord. Prayer doesn't always incorporate supplication, nor does prayer have to be intense. Prayer can be as simply as mentioning the names of the people who are on our hearts and asking God to help or to bless them. Giving thanks over a meal and praying God's blessing over the food does not involve supplication unless the person who prepared it is really a bad cook and you suspect you may die of food poisoning. Then you may want to have supplication as you pray for your meal. But otherwise, it's simply looking to God and giving thanks and asking him to bless the food. The third component of intercessory prayer is intercession itself. Intercession is standing between the person and God for the needs of the person. Jesus is the only true intercessor. We do not intercede on our own. We co-labor with Jesus in us to intercede through us. Intercession is free of self-interest since we're praying for the needs of others. Intercession can be seen as a legal term for example when an advocate or a lawyer intercedes on our, on on behalf of his client and represents that person before a judge. So intercession never deals with our needs it always deals with the needs of others so we intervene so that those needs can be met. Intercession is deep warfare as we stand in the gap between the need and God. intercession. In intercession, we take hold of God, and we take hold of a man, and bring the two together. That's intercession. The fourth and final component of intercessory prayer is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving wraps everything up and is an expression of our faith in God and that how God will answer so we do not leave empty, but filled with faith, strength, leaving heaviness, worry, and unbelief behind. So when you're interceding, it's extremely important to wrap up that time with thanksgiving. Because it's like you're saying, God, I've known you, I know you've heard me, and you're answering. Because if you don't end with thanksgiving, you can end with heaviness still. So after you've interceded, then you say, thank you, Father. Thank you, you're so good. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you're answering, Father. Thank you so much. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Oh, I got carried away. Anyways, (laughs) but that's what it is. It wraps it up. So when you leave that time of prayer, you feel filled and content. Thanksgiving is like saying the big amen after you finish praying. Hallelujah. (laughs) Christians sometimes speak as if only some Christians are called to be intercessors. Intercession is not a separate ministry for a chosen few, but the response of any believer's heart stirred by God's heart for the needs of others. If we never feel stirred to intercede, we have not been moved by the plight of others. Intercession does not always involve emotions but it's simply our choice to spend time before God and have focused and earnest prayer. In other words, you don't have to, when you intercede, say, well, i got to work my emotions up. No, it's basically saying I will focus on this need and I will spend time interceding for that need. It's not like, well, I have to kind of work up my emotions, and start to weep or do something else. It means that there's a great need and I'm moved by that need and I choose now to spend time before God for that person or for that need. Some may be called to spend more time in intercession than others, but we're all called to be intercessors. Intercession really exemplifies our calling as Christians. We are to be witnesses of Christ. We are to warn the world of the coming judgment. And we are to share the good news of the salvation that God is offering each person through Christ's redemptive work at Calvary. We are to pray and intercede for God's redemptive purposes to be fulfilled in people's lives. So we're to share the gospel. We're to share the warning of of what happens if someone refuses the gospel. We're to share the hope that God has offered to offer everybody, but we're also to pray and intercede for the redemption of those people. We're to pray that God will intervene. If we're not praying, then everything else is incomplete. I remember many, many years ago, I was witnessing to this one guy. He was a big bodybuilder. I mean, his, his, uh, his bicep was bigger than my leg. You know what I mean? He's just a huge guy. But he, he was very worldly. I started sharing the gospel with him, but he didn't really feel that, didn't see a significance to it. So I began to pray for him. And I said, God, do whatever you need to do in that man's life. Do whatever you need to do to have that man bow the knee and receive Christ. Whatever's necessary. And I prayed like that every day. And as I kept sharing the gospel, he's saying, things started falling apart in his life. Things were getting worse. And I kept saying to him, I'm praying for you. And he goes, I appreciate it. And every time I said, do whatever you need to do to bring that person to Christ. And things kept getting worse. And I'd see him, he goes, things are getting worse. I said, don't worry, I'm praying for you. (laughs) But you know something, he came to Christ. I don't think he would have thanked me if he knew what I was praying for. But (laughs) Intercession not only changes the world and other Christians, but it changes the ones who are interceding. If you don't have intercession in your life, you are missing something in how to develop the heart of God. Because intercession changes us. I've lost my place. <laughs> okay, here I am. What happened? Am I okay now? Oh, here it is. Okay. Intercession strengthens our relationship with God because we're identifying with God's heart. Intercession helps us understand and experience the heart of God in new more wonderful in deeper ways. In other words, when you intercede, when you really say, God, I am moved by that person's need and I'm going to spend time praying for that person or that need, you begin to experience God's heart for that person and for their need. Romans 10.1 Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. We see Apostle Paul's deep desire for salvation, the salvation of Israel. Paul was deeply moved to pray for his brethren who did not know Christ. In Romans 9, 1 3, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul was moved with supplication as he identified with the sufferings and loss that Israel had, was experiencing because of the rejection of Christ. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. In other words, he was saying, look at all the calamities and the sufferings that Israel has experienced, not only as a nation, but individually. And he says, I have continual sorrow. In other words, he was identifying. He's like, oh, it's somewhere else. No, he, he was touched by their sorrows, by their losses. However, Paul's heart for Israel went beyond just supplication or prayer. He was moved to intercede. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. The most astounding words that Paul spoke were for I wish I myself or I wish I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. What is he saying? He's saying I wish I could be in hell. I wish I could be in torment so they could be saved. Do you recognize that depth of wanting to intercede? That's the same Paul who said that there's no greater joy than to be with Jesus. Paul stood between God and Israel because he profoundly identified with Israel's plight. Paul's heart was so closely aligned with Jesus' heart that he mirrored the same motivation that compelled Jesus to die the most horrific death in all eternity at the cross of Calvary. Like Jesus, Paul would have given his life for the lives of others. What he was doing, he was expressing what Jesus felt, what Jesus felt, and why Jesus came. That's how close his heart was bound in intercession with God's heart. Jesus, the true intercessor, literally became our sin offering and was accursed so we could be saved. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. See, Christ, while Paul said, I would be willing to be accursed, Jesus said, I will be accursed. I am willing and I will be accursed. So as Christ hung on that cross, he interceded between man and God, and he says, curse me. Let me take the curse of mankind upon my body and upon my soul. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus literally became accursed and separated from his father as he became our sin offering. As Jesus hung on the cross, the perfect bond between he and his father was broken and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, I wish that I could be accursed and separated from Christ. But Christ actually became accursed and was separated from his father at Calvary. So we see the reality of what it means to be intercessor, to stand in the gap. Through intercession, Paul's heart identified not only with the suffering and the loss of Israel, but with the heart of God that has fulfilled the sorrow and grief for everyone who rejects Christ, and ultimately experiences eternal separation from God in hell. You know, the thing is, many times when we pray for the lost, we may identify with their sorrow, but are we identifying with God's sorrow? Christ died for everyone. But you know, when we pray, one thing that stirs me is, God's heart is yearning to save God's heart is sorrow and broken when someone rejects him and goes to hell. So we're praying. We're not only praying on behalf of man. We're praying on behalf of God. We're identifying with God's heart. We can live this life so complacently and forget about all the people around us who do not know Christ. We can look around and think, oh, it's okay. But it's not only their sorrow and their loss. God's heart, God's heart is sorrowing and God is looking for us as his body to intercede. Do we not care that people around us are being destroyed by sin, have rejected the gospel, but they need someone who will pray and intercede that they can experience that salvation. God's heart is breaking, and God is looking to us and say, will you allow me to intercede through you? when speaking about intercessory prayer, describes who we are to pray for, for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Then Paul expressed God's heart of love for all men and his earnest desire to save all men, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to be saved. Even those people that are nasty to us. Even those people who lie and slander us. Even those people who cheat us. Even that vacuum sales salesman that sold us that vacuum that didn't suck. <laughs> you know, he wants us to intercede because he wants to save all men. When I pray and intercede for the lost... I'm not only conscious of the tragic and horrible state of those who do not know Christ, I'm also moved by the sorrow that the heart of God experiences as people reject the salvation that cost him so much. And that's a really important thing when I'm praying for the lost, is not only for the sorrow of those that are lost, that need Christ, but the heart of God that grieves over those who are walking in unbelief and rebellion. While I'm alive on this earth, there are some things I'm able to do that I will never be able to do in eternity. Only while I'm alive on this earth am I able to pray for the needs of people. Only while I'm alive in the earth am I able to share the gospel with those who are not yet saved. Once my earthly life ends and I am in heaven, I will no longer have the opportunity to lead people to Christ or to pray for those in need. Everyone in heaven will be saved and their needs will all be met. You know, while you're alive still... And everyone here is alive. (laughs) Just wanted to remind you, so this includes everybody. (laughs) You have an opportunity to share Christ with people. The day that your earthly life ends, that will be the last time. There are people all around us, and we're going to pray, God, help me. Help me, Lord, to touch those around. And the day that your life ends, you will be no longer able to intercede for people on this earth. But while we're alive, while we're alive, we can impact people, and we can see God's love touching them, and we can say, God, make me that intercessor. Make me that light. Make me that witness. Let me not be cold-hearted. Let me not be so selfish that I forget the lost, and not, I don't want to forget, your heart. Every day I pray for revival, Every day I pray for signs, wonders, miracles, and healings to confirm the truth of the gospel. Mark 16:20. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. As I pray for revival, my heart is filled with anticipation and joy, looking forward to the day when I will see the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in unimaginable ways. I've been praying for that way for every day for decades. God has done some amazing things, but I'm looking forward to when there'll be such a move of God, such a move of God, that lives will be powerfully transformed. And I pray for signs and wonders and miracles and healings every day because it's the dinner bell for the call of salvation. When people start getting healed, and we've had some healings here, But when people start getting healed en masse, people flock into the churches. And we have a message to take out into the world. And I don't get tired. Because I know that God is hearing me. I know he's hearing me. And not only me. He's hearing many people who are praying for revival. Not only for the city of London. But for the body of Christ around the world. And so I'm just continuing to pray with anticipation for what God is going to do. First Timothy chapter two verses five and six, for there's one mediator and one one God and one mediator between man and between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. It's interesting. He says the man Christ Jesus. Why would it say the man Christ Jesus? Because to be a mediator, you have to be able to represent both parties. So Jesus Christ is God, so he could represent God. But he also came fully as a man, so he could represent man. And then coming as a man to be that mediator, it says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What's a ransom? You pay the price that somebody else owes. But he only could do that as a man. So he came between God and man, and he took that punishment upon himself. Jesus is the true intercessor who intercedes between God and man. He fulfilled the role as the perfect and true intercessor by becoming the ransom by which we all can be saved. Now, Jesus Christ is looking to each of his children to co labor with him so we will pray and intercede for the needs of those around. If we lack a component of intercessory prayer in our lives, we will find something sadly lacking in our relationship with God. We will tend to be self focused. And oblivious to the needs and sufferings of others. If we fail to rise to the occasion to intercede for the needs of others, we will become more and more self-centered and selfish. Romans 8:24: "For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Intercession is being able to hope for what we do not see. Intercession is being able to believe for what it seems impossible. Intercession is to pray for things that are much bigger than us, the salvation of the world Romans 825 but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait it wait for it with perseverance. Intercession must be motiv- motivated by a deep desire. We eagerly wait for it, we eagerly wait for it. Intercession must contain a wonderful balance between expectation and patience with perseverance. Without expectations, we'll lack the motivation and zeal to persevere in prayer. However, without patience, we will grow discouraged and quit if we fail to see results quickly. Sometimes I've prayed and I've seen God answer in hours or days. And others, I've seen God answer in years. And there's things I'm still looking to for God to answer. But I do it with anticipation but perseverance. I'd like to read a, a true story. How many people have heard of Jim Cimbala? Right? He's uh, the founding pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. and um, He founded a church on prayer. They would have a prayer meeting Tuesday nights of a 1,000 people. people. People have come to salvation who were so completely lost, so hopelessly lost, and the power of God has saved them and transformed them. But this is a story from his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. My oldest daughter, Chrissy, had been a model child growing up. But around the age of 16, she started to stray. Not only from us, but also from God. In time, she even left our home. There were many nights when we had no idea where she was. As the situation grew more more serious, I tried everything. I begged. I pleaded. I scolded. I argued. I tried to control her with money. Nothing worked. She just hardened more and more. While this was going on, my wife Carol needed an operation. During the post-surgical depression that followed, the devil took the opportunity to come after her and say, You have a big choir? You're you're making albums? You're doing outreach at Radio City Music Hall? Fine. You and your husband go ahead and reach the world for Christ. But I'm going to have your children. I've already got the first one, and I'm coming after the next two. One day, Carol said to me, Listen, we need to leave New York. I'm serious. This atmosphere has already swallowed up our daughter. We can't raise our kids here. Then in November, I received a call from a pastor friend I had persuaded Chrissy to talk to. He said, Jim, I love you and Carol, but Chrissy is going to do what Chrissy wants to do. She's 18, she's determined, and you have to accept that's what she's decide, What she decides. You don't have much choice. I hung up the phone. I couldn't accept Chrissy being away from the Lord. God strongly impressed me that I was to converse with no one but God. In fact, I should have no further contact with Chrissy until God acted. Christmas came, and it was nearly impossible to keep my composure trying to open presence with the other children and no Chrissy. February came, one cold Tuesday night during prayer meeting. I talked from Acts 4 about how the church boldly called on God in the face of persecution. We entered into a time of prayer. Everyone reached out to the Lord spontaneously or simultaneously. An usher handed me a note. A young, young woman whom I felt to be spiritually sensitive had written, Pastor Simbala, I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting and all pray for your daughter. In a few minutes, I picked up the microphone and told the congregation about what just had happened. The truth of the matter, I said, although I haven't talked much about it, is that my daughter is very far from God these days. She She thinks up is down and down is up. Light is dark and dark is light. But I know God can break through her. And I'm going to ask our assistant pastor to lead us in prayer for Chrissy. Let's all join hands across the sanctuary. To describe what happened in the next few minutes, I can only imply a metaphor. Their church turned into a labor room. There arose a groaning, a sense of desperate desperate determination, as if to say, Satan, you will not have this girl. Take your hands off. When I got home that night, I said to Carol, it's over. What's over? she wondered. It's over with Chrissy. I tell you, if there's a God in heaven, this whole nightmare is finally over. Thirty two hours later, as I was shaving, Carol burst through the door. Go downstairs, she blurted. Chrissy's here. It's you she wants to see. I wiped off the shaving foam and I headed down the stairs, my heart pounding. As I came around the corner, I saw my daughter on the kitchen floor rocking in her hands and knees, sobbing. Cautiously, I spoke her name. Chrissy? She grabbed my pant leg and began, to pour, began pouring out her anguish. Daddy, Daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and Mummy. Please forgive me. Then suddenly she drew back. Daddy, she said with a start, who was praying for me? Who was praying for me? Her voice was like that of a cross-examining attorney. What do you mean, Chrissy? On Tuesday night, Daddy, who was praying for me? In the middle of the night, God woke me up and showed me I was heading towards this abyss. There was no bottom. It scared me to death. I was so frightened. I realized how hard it had been, how wrong, how rebellious. But at the same time, it was like God wrapping his arms around me and held me tight. He kept me from sliding any further as he said, I still love you. Who was praying for me Tuesday night? She was headed towards a life of destruction. A life of total destruction. But there were people who were willing to pray. But that Tuesday night prayer intercession didn't happen on its own because Jim and Carol had been interceding for their daughter for months and months and months, and it prepared the way for that entire church to intercede and to see her turn back to Christ. In fact, now she's married to a man who's also a pastor. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. True intercession always involves the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. A person is incapable of interceding without the Holy Spirit because intercession is the spiritual work of Jesus Christ. Intercession is not us doing it, but us co-laboring with Christ doing it. If you try to intercede without the Holy Spirit, you will just become frustrated and exhausted. Intercession goes far beyond the words we speak to an expression of the very heart of God. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I've shared this before with you, but it's one of my times that I've really experienced a very deep intercession. It happened in a... Uh, when was Dad saved, Harvey? 1995. So this happened probably in 1994. And it was in a prayer meeting. And my pastors, there was about 20 of us we were all praying in this home. And as we're praying, and I was just praying in tongues, worshiping God, and all of a sudden, on my heart, came my Father. My Father had been in a, uh, a work labor camp for five years. Most of our family was murdered by the Nazis. When he got out, he weighed 85 pounds. He had seen things that are so horrible that you cannot imagine. Came to Canada, got married, and now he was an old man. He had some strokes. He was being trapped now in a body. His mind was working, but his body was failing him. And as I was praying that evening, he worshiping God. All of a sudden, I felt my father's pain. I felt the sorrow that was filling his heart, the sorrow of seeing his family murdered, the sorrow of all the tragedies, and now the sorrow of facing a slow death, being trapped in a body, And and not knowing Christ. And I began to pray in tongues, and I started to to weep like I had wept very few times in my life. I began to weep. I felt my father's pain. I felt his anguish. I felt his hopelessness. And I began to pray in tongues and just weeping and sobbing and weeping and sobbing. It wasn't something I made up. It wasn't something I was stirring up emotionally. It was I was sensing the pain of my father. And after we finished praying, I never said one word in English, I was praying in tongues. And after we finished praying, the pastor looked at me and he said to me, the Lord showed me you were interceding for your father. And within a year, our father came to Christ. <coughs> God is looking for those who are willing to come into agreement with his heart so he can express his heart through us in intercession. Romans eight twenty seven. Now he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit is. What the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Intercession is not an expression of what we want, but it is an expression of the will of God, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, when we're interceding, it's because God has shown us his will. It's not like, oh God, I pray that they will get that Cadillac, Cadillac. Or maybe Cadillac's not a good card anymore. I don't know. But anyways, I'm not watching the cards. But the point is, no, intercession is where God puts on our heart what's on His heart. God will reveal His will to us through the Word of God as we study and meditate on His Word. God will reveal His will to us through the Holy Spirit as we spend time in prayer and intercession. Through intercession, our will, desires, and goals begin to come into line with God's. You know, the problem with all human beings, we're selfish. But as we spend time in intercession, we begin to be identifying with God's will. It slowly starts to erode our selfishness and slowly helps us to start to be identifying with God's will. Romans 8 33 and 34. Who shall bring a charge against God, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Jesus is the perfect example of intercessor. Even in our darkest moments of fear, failure, a heartbreak, Jesus is right there to intercede for us. Who is he who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? You know, there are times that you may feel totally broken. There are times that you may feel you have failed God or you're filled with fear or you're discouraged or you're overwhelmed. And in those times, you can wait before God. You can wait before God and let him intercede for you. You can have that. I remember reading a book um, about some two girls, YWAM missionaries in the 1970s, who went to Albania. Albania was the most communist, atheistic country in the world. And they went there to share the gospel. Anyways, they were caught, they were imprisoned, and they separated. One one girl was released, but the other girl they kept and they kept interrogating her. And, and they kept saying, Nobody knows about you. The world doesn't know about you. You're here, you're on your own. And they kept threatening her to make a false confession that she was doing things which she wasn't. And then finally, one night they said to her, tomorrow morning, you will be executed. And there she was on her own and believing this lie that she was alone, that nobody knew about her situation. She was alone. Nobody was praying for her. And as she was in this place, she turned to God. And as she did, the Holy Spirit spoke to her that verse, that Jesus is interceding for you. Even if no one else is praying for you, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. And as she heard that, faith rose up. What she didn't know was her arrest had been publicized across the whole world People around the world, Christians around the world from every continent were interceding and praying for her. She didn't know it, but there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians interceding. And the next day, they released her. Jesus not only interceded for his disciples during his earthly ministry, but he continues to intercede for us at the right, t- at the right hand of, God- of the Father in heaven. You know, remember that Jesus is always interceding on our behalf. I remember when I was a young Christian, and um, I was probably 22 at the time, and my friend drove me home. He was a Christian and dropped me off at home. Things were very tough at that time. My, you know, I was just a brand new Christian. My dad was super furious. You know, it, it just, it was not an easy time. Anyways, I went upstairs to my room and And then I I I had this spiritual attack that came over me, a terrible spiritual attack. As my friend drove away, he stopped. He pulled over, and he began to intercede. He didn't know what was happening, but he began to intercede for me. He just had to stop. He couldn't just keep driving home. And that was the very moment that I was under that spiritual attack. The next day, he says, Howard, what happened to you after I dropped you off? He says, I was just so overwhelmed to pray for you that I had to stop and do that. Isn't God faithful? But let us be sensitive to the Spirit that when God puts someone in our heart, stop and pray for them. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus has received an unchangeable and eternal priesthood. Jesus, as our high priest, intercedes for us. One of the important ways that Jesus saves us to the uttermost is through intercession. He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Christ is our resurrected Savior, not our dead hero. As our resurrected Savior, he continues to live to intercede for us. So we can come to complete victory and freedom since he always lives to make intercession for them. So those times when you're overwhelmed, when you feel, God, I don't have the strength. I don't know how to deal with this anxiety or fear or shame or guilt or hopelessness that the enemy would try to bring on you. Just come before God. And let him minister to you. Jesus... Just as Jesus is our high priest, we are priests to God. And one of our responsibilities as priests is to intercede for others. That's what priests did. They intercede between God and the people. Jesus is our high priest, but we are to be priests unto God. Every believer is called to be an intercessor. Why don't all Christians respond to this calling to intercede? There is a cost to intercede in prayer. There is a cost. Intercession will cost us our time. It will cost us our time. Sometimes we're so busy, we don't want to give up our time. We want to do whatever we want to do. But there is a cost, and the biggest cost is our time. Second, intercession means we need to be willing to be touched with the plight and sorrows of others. Sometimes when we see others suffering, we see others sorrowing it's so easy to want to turn away from seeing that sorrow because it is painful sometimes. But intercession is willing to look and to see the plight and the sorrows of others and let that touch us. Intercession means to put aside our self-interest and place the needs of others in the forefront. And intercession requires faith. Believing God is quite different than believing in God. See, we don't intercede until God hears us, but we intercede because God hears us. So we don't intercede until God hears us, we intercede because God hears us. So the moment we're praying, God is hearing and God is active. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 For the love of God compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. For he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It is Christ's love in us and expressed through us that compels and constrains us to intercede for others. To intercede for others, we must be moved by God's love for them. In other words, sometimes somebody is really obnoxious, but they still need Jesus. Jesus. And so we said, God, let me see them the way you see them. Let me know what you think about them. Let me move by your love for them. That's the true heart of an intercessor because that's the true heart of God. Human sympathy or a simple sense of duty or responsibility will not give us the strength and resolve to make the necessary sacrifices to be an intercessor. If we are to, be inter- or if we are to intercede for the lost, or for other Christians we must have a deep stirring of God's love in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 13:7 Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. For us to be an intercessor, we must not only have a great love for the person, but a love mixed with faith that never gives up. For one to intercede, We must bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Intercession takes on the impossible. Intercession takes on the impossible. Intercession takes on things that appear as though they will never change. Intercession goes beyond the realm of human possibility to the realm of God's grace. See, a lot of people don't intercede when situations seem impossible. But that's where intercession starts. Many of you have heard of George Mueller. George Mueller was, uh, he lived um, in the uh, 18th century, and, uh, or 19th century, and uh, he saw the poverty of, of the needs of, 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 of the... At, at that time in England, in the 1800s, there was no, um, nothing for his orphans. They'd just be treated like animals on the street. So he was moved, and as a Christian, he began to pray, and God, through his provision, provided an orphanage that housed, fed, and clothed 2,000 children at any one time. He never had any money, and he never raised funds, but he prayed, he prayed, he prayed. But do you know something? There's one thing that George Mueller prayed for that he never saw fulfilled. For 60 years, George Mueller prayed for a friend of his who was not a Christian, For 60 years, he prayed for that man. And he never saw him come to Christ. But when George Mueller died at 90-something years old, at his funeral, that man came to Christ. But George Mueller never gave up. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. But when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest field. When Jesus was moved with compassion for people, he always acted on their behalf. Our first response in seeing the great sea of humanity that still, do, uh, that still do not know Christ is in their seed. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. Every day, do you pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors? Do that. Every day, pray that God send forth labors. Send forth labors, Father. Bring forth a great harvest. Intercession is the most important first response to seeing a breakthrough. Intercession paves a way for God to lead us and others to action in the natural realm and to send out labors into his harvest. Ezekiel 22, verses 30 to 31. So I sought for a man among whom would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore I poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. This verse shows the absolute necessity for interse- intercessors and the result of a lack of intercessors. God saying, my judgment was coming on them, but I didn't want my judgment. I was looking, would someone be a wall between myself, the judgment, and, and, and them? Would, who would be willing to intercede? But there was no one willing, and so my judgment and wrath was poured out. It says in Isaiah 59, 16, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness it sustained him. God was appalled and astounded that there was not one person to intercede and stand in the gap for the people. So Jesus came as a man to intercede for mankind. God operates by laws and principles which he has established. For example, there's the law of retribution, the consequences of sin. There is also the principle of mercy that God has established. If there is no intercessor, and no one to intercede, then the law of the consequences of sin run its course. Mercy is a higher law than the law of condemnation. Intercession does not change God's mind, but implores God to use a higher law, the law of mercy. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. Intercession releases the grace of God, the mercy of God. Thus, intercession is very close to the heart of God. Through intercession, God invites us and gives us the privilege to be included in his victories. As believers, we are Christ's body, where his hands and his feet and his mouth Christ wants to express himself, and we are his chosen way to act on his behalf. I want to read one more testimony. This happened in the Isle of Lewis, Lewis, in Scotland, the Herbities Islands. It started in 1949, this testimony. In 1949, the Presbytery issued a proclamation to be read in all the free churches in the Isle of Lewis. The proclamation called on the people to consider how they had neglected their salvation and how this grieved God's heart. Church attendance was down and the younger generation was increasingly influenced by the values of the world, not Christian values. At that time, not a single teenager attended the church. They called on the church, churches to consider the consequences of their lack of repentance and to turn back to God. Two praying sisters, Christina, age 82, and double over with arthritis, and Peggy, 84, totally blind, took the call to heart. They developed a common concern for God to do something in the parish, and they began to pray to God. One evening, Peggy, who was blind, had a vision. In the vision, she saw the churches crowded with young people, and she told her sister, I believe revival is coming to the parish. See, prayer enables them enabled them to find God's will. God visited them, giving them an unshakable assurance that the revival that they and others have been praying for for, about, for months was near. Peggy told her sister, this is what God has promised. I will pour out upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And we are dealing with a covenant keeping God. Peggy sent her minister, and told him her dream. Peggy said, I'm sure, Mr. McKay, that you're longing to see God work. What about calling the elders and deacons together and spend two nights a week in prayer? You've tried missions, you've tried evangelism, but have you tried God? He agreed they would meet on Tuesday and Friday nights and spend those evenings in prayer. Peggy replied, well, if you do that on Tuesday and Friday, my sister and I will pray from 10 p.m. until 4 a.m. every Tuesday and every Friday. For months, the minister and the elders and deacons met with God twice a week in earnest prayer. That's the power of perseverance. The very same day, there was a group praying with Mr. McKay at a barn about five miles away. A young deacon stood up and read part of Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He challenged the praying group. Brethren, we have been praying to God for weeks. But I ask you now, are your hands clean? Are your hearts pure? As they continued to pray, God's awesome presence swept into the barn. At 4 a.m., they moved out of the realm of the common and the natural into the sphere of the supernatural and that is revival. See, repentance is essential for personal and corporate revival. Reverend McKay felt led to invite Duncan Campbell for special meetings. The leading by Mr. McKay to invite Duncan Campbell was confirmed when Peggy, the other lady, had a vision and God showed her that the chosen vessel that he was gonna use for this revival was Duncan Campbell. At first, when Duncan Campbell received that invitation, he refused because I'm very busy, but I'll put it on my calendar for next year. When the elder said, when the sister heard his reply, she simply said, that is what man has said, but God has said he's coming within two weeks. And sure enough, he came within two weeks. And his intended stay was for a few weeks, but he stayed there for a whole two years. Duncan Campbell described what happened next. God was beginning to move. The heavens were opened. We were on our faces before God. When at 3 a.m., God swept in. We We knew the forces of darkness were going to be driven back and men were going to be delivered. When we left the cottage, we discovered men and women seeking God. There was a light on in every house. No one seemed to be thinking of sleeping as they were going through the village and the town. Every light on was in every house, people were awake. Later in the morning, the church was crowded. A stream of buses came from every part of the island, yet no one could discover who had told them to come. Many were gloriously converted. Now the revival was really underway. The Spirit of God was at work. All over the church, men and women were crying for mercy. That meeting went on until 4 a.m. the following morning. This went on for five weeks with services from early morning to late at night. The revival spread to neighboring parishes. The sacred presence of God was everywhere. Sinners found themselves unable to escape. One, one pub owner mourned, the drink trade on this island is ruined. Although the peak of the revival was between 1949 and 1952, the blessings continued to flow for many more years. In 1957, God again manifested his power, this time in an island that had never known revival. Local ministers testified this move was even greater than the previous move on Lewis. Again, the spirit of God was carrying on it was carried on believer, believing prayers and through faithful preaching of the word of God. Meetings were crowded night after night. People found crying were found crying to God for salvation. Believe God, believe his word. Many young men heard the call of God and entered the ministry. Others answered the call to the mission field. Duncan Campbell wrote, Those who seek God for revival must be prepared for God to work in his own way and not according to to their own program. His sovereignty does not relieve men of responsibility. Says you can make a, a community mission conscious, you can make a community crusade conscious, but only God can make a community God conscious. Just think about what that would be if God came to your community. I believe that one day, we're going to see that in fact I I know there are people here who have been involved in revivals how many people have have been involved in revivals we have a number of people that have had that where there was revivals and when I I remember with LGT when they had the revival service started 6 30 Sunday nights people would line up beforehand to make sure they got a seat And the service would go to what, 11, 12 o'clock at night? People wouldn't want to leave because the presence of God was so tangible. But that began through people willing to intercede and pray. Intercession offers us an opportunity to transform history. You have an opportunity to be ones that God used to transform history. Intercessory prayer is not done out of shame Guilt or compulsion, intercessory prayers and invitation that Jesus called us to co labor with Him in prayer to see His glory manifest. I want to encourage you. If you know Jesus, God wants you to be an intercessor. You know, we have a Sunday morning pre service prayer every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock upstairs in the sanctuary, the chapel upstairs. We have a Wednesday morning prayer meeting, 6 a.m. is a bit young. That we meet every 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 Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. from 6 a.m. to 7:30 every Wednesday morning, building just beside us. We've been doing that for 22 years now. At 22 years for an hour and a half every Wednesday morning, we've been praying, and I'm praying for revival. Just like to, you know, encourage you, if you're able to, come early, to pray Sunday mornings or come really early, Wednesday mornings, but also to pray at home. But if you wanna strengthen your prayer life, get involved in corporate prayer. There's something about corporate prayer that invigorates our personal prayer life, absolutely. It's in corporate prayer that I learned how to spend time before God in private prayer. And as could we all stand? Let's just pray for a few moments and then Morgan is gonna lead us in worship. Father, Lord, we thank you, Father. I pray, Lord, that you'd move in our midst. Father, if there's anyone here who has not received you, Father, has not put their faith in Christ, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir them this morning, knowing that you're there. You're there, Lord, to hear them, to save them, to embrace them as your children and i pray for each one of us not for our church only i pray for every church in the city of london ontario i pray for every believer in this city awaken his father awaken his father the needs are so great in this city there's so many lives are destroyed by sin destroyed by temptations destroyed by drugs families are being ripped apart father oh god Let us be those that intercede. Let us be those who busy ourselves by waiting upon you, Father. Oh God, for your heart is broken for the lost and for the broken, Lord. And Father, let us stir us up, awaken the people of God in the city of London, Ontario. That we would be intercessors, Father, and we would see those miracles. We would see the Spirit of God move. We would see Christ glorified. Oh yes, Father. Glorify your son Jesus Christ in us and through us that we would see many come to salvation. Oh God, you see the broken hearts, the broken lives, in the city, those who do not know you, Father. And we know it's your heart, it's your love. So use us, Father. Use us, Father, to be those intercessors, Lord, to see revival come to the city of London, Ontario and beyond, Lord. Thank you, Father. Stir us, Lord. Stir us, Father. Hallelujah.